So the topic, let me change that. I said so the topic, didn't I? Okay. I'm going to eliminate the so part. That's a phrase filler. The topic of this evening's presentation of the Dharma is called Don't Weaponize Emotions. Don't make your emotions into a spear, a lance, a knife, uh, pushed in. Don't do it. Don't do it. And how do we, how do we don't do it? By seeing that we do it without apologizing, without shutting down, and without adding to it, with doing nothing. You actually have to, you could say, witness your actual activity of aggression. If you add anything to that, even a, a little tiny, real squeaky, there I go again, hurting someone. Don't do that. That's, 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 uh, that's for you. That's something you do, me do, I do, they do, he do. To ourselves, to soften what we need to look at, which is that incredible aggression that goes out towards others. Based on what? Trying to get rid of how we feel. Trying to get rid of how we feel. We feel something, really, and we want to get rid of it. We want it to go out. The various ways of doing of getting rid of are, as we know in the teachings, have been around way before we got here. Passion, aggression, ignorance. The one that's the most volatile, of course, is aggression. So we we have a start to have a negative feeling, and we'll have we'll talk ourselves right in circles, right out of that witnessing of it into a circle that goes around and around and around. And around. Eventually goes into something else or someone else, or it's, maybe it goes into you. Maybe you're always accusing yourself, blaming yourself. I shouldn't have done that. Here I go again. Always, I'm such a loser. I'm never going to get any better. Well, that may be true. Fundamentally, because there isn't anyone. And don't misunderstand. How many times do I say don't misunderstand? It's almost a phrase filler. I say it sometimes. Don't misunderstand. What wrong with that? Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that there isn't somebody, some kind of a concoction of stuff that gets together as some kind of a brew that has some kind of identity and a particular flavor, taste, color, texture, and so on that we say, me, that's me. We reify, reinforce it all the time with our constant comment, not the T, constant commentary about who we are, what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we can do it better. Sometimes the phrase fillers stack up so you can make a sandwich out of them. Sometimes we, when we could just say, someone asks a question, we could just say, yes, that's, that's true, or I think so. But instead we say, well, what I was really trying to do and say was, and then have a whole elaboration of all kinds of padding uh, to keep us from actually seeing what is the case. What is the case is there isn't anyone, and this is where the fear comes from. Or not. Maybe, maybe it's something else. Find out. Let me know what you find out. The most important thing we can remember as practitioners on this path is you have to see it yourself. You're going to have to see it. When you see it, you'll maybe think about me or things I've said and think, well, that's what, that's what that meant. You may think that. But you have to awaken to this. And you'll notice those of you who are very close to me are going to get a lot more heat than those of you who are more distant. You can measure that in millimeters. Don't weaponize, don't take the emotion that arises as your Buddha nature and reshape it into something else that you can attack 
someone with that you can plunge into yourself. The minute, the second, the hour, the day that you say, you say with all honesty, I feel suicidal, or I feel so aggressive, or I feel so irritable, or I feel, I feel, I feel. Not, not to me. You should be telling me that. You should come into the Hojo if you happen to live here, which everyone in this room at this point does, other than when you know. Do I say I or me? Yes. Hmm? Other than Uno and me. So I couldn't say I live here? You don't. <laughs> I know a couple of people are getting way too smart-alecky. Maybe more than two. So we need to bring our awareness into that and see that. So I'm endeavoring to help each one of you when you come and sit in front of me or when we have a Dharma talk. Endeavoring to help you see clearly what, what is happening with you so you can see what it is. It takes a lot of courage just to be alone and even uh, not even use the teachings of the Buddha, not even use uh, belief in anything. Even the belief that you're going to accomplish something, get somewhere. Uh, so that seems to arise differently for for each one of us. Some of us have to go into some kind of a uh, a trench of not knowing, or or a, a valley of uh, where there's not much light. We feel lost, alone, whatever. Sometimes we just need to go through that. And I would say, if you do find yourself in such a place, listen to me. That's a dharma gate. It's not something to be gotten rid of. It's something to be seen and seen and seen. And if you look at it enough, it, it, will, it may or may not, but it, it will appear probably something like a doorway that opens up, an archway, a hallway, an opening, a portal. If you really see that it's a portal, you've actually gone through it. Don't weaponize how you feel. In the same way, don't take anything that arises, change it into something else. Like it says on the back of Uno's Roxu that I wrote in uh, about seven years ago, I think it was. Nothing else. Is that, am I quoting myself? Can you quote yourself? Or is that just repeating yourself? You know, don't say yes. <laughs> so, there, there, so there isn't anything else. And of course there is. There's all this stuff. There's all these things and that things and all of our thoughts. And all of the qualities of ideas and projections. and huh, It's tiring after a while. But when something arises that is in some, that has some kind of a quality a quality of energy that seems to be uh, difficult or, or some kind of struggle is happening that you don't you don't know who started it or if you're on one side or the other there's some kind of a feeling happening in this area if you look closely and I hope that you do and if you're a practitioner of this awareness practice you can't hardly help but look closely you'll never find this happening in your heart it's always in your gut uh, this doesn't happen up here what happens up here? What's the negativity that happens here? Come on. Sadness. Yeah, sadness. If it's sadness, it's not in your gut. It's in your heart. And what do I say about sadness? Don't abandon sadness. I don't know if you can weaponize sadness. I don't know if you can take sadness and you know, mold it into some kind of a... what? Go ahead. Well, it's just flashing on all the um, uh, mostly men who have... Uh, Killed a lot of people, like in Las Vegas, or out of what? Uh, in Las Vegas, the different yeah. mass killings that have occurred with uh, automatic weapons. Yeah, 
I don't know if we've ever known if there's a, a deep sadness. That Certainly going to be yes. part of it. But it looks more like a gut feeling of, I want you know, my words, of course, not anybody else's. I want people to know how bad I feel. I want people to know how really, really mad, bad, pissed off I am. If I just murder a whole lot of people, I'll somehow have some kind of satisfaction out of that, even if I die. Although I don't, as the story goes, I don't think you'd plan on dying. Different kind of situation there. Questions are good. I can continue, but I'd love to have questions about what's coming up for you. Go, go. Why do you say not to apologize if you've weaponized an emotion you're engaged in, in that with someone? So the, what I'm addressing is quite often the apology is about trying to extract uh, forgiveness rather than actually apologizing. If you were to apologize to someone that you did something to and they just looked at you and looked away, would you still feel apologetic? Probably not. You would think, well, I just apologized. What's wrong with them? That's the last time I'm apologizing. Or maybe you wouldn't do that. So apology uh, is a word that where there's several different layers and ways that that shows up. Uh, an actual, an actual uh, remorse over doing something may not show up as an apology. It may never. It may be more. It may be more damaging or hurtful to apologize to someone. Good than to to just feel remorse about it. It's not about them so much as it's about you as being someone who's harmed someone. Questions are good around this if you want to go there. There's a lot of material there. Yes. When is it helpful to apologize? When you don't have to. When all of that's gone, when you have no motivation behind it, other than to, uh, if you see that it's helpful to someone else, it's helpful to them. If it's about you, then shut up and say it. More? How would apologizing to somebody be? Mm, it might, it might uh, possibly, not with a motivation, but it might help take their attention, their anger, irritation, and aggression about you away. Give them less of a target. And, make, and help them to see more that that's really their feelings, not anything you've done. Cause and effect are very, very fishy because they're so obvious. This going through the air causes this. End of story. Cause, effect. Don't go any, don't elaborate on that. If you do, you'll find it'll just be unending. So it's okay to see this and this, but don't uh, make attributions. If that happens, there must be somebody there who's doing that. That's going too far. Anymore. How can you, you bring awareness to the identity when there are elaborations? So the, just see the elaborations. We don't have to stop them. The elaborations are covering up the identity that is basically a, a charade. There is no identity. There's no solid. There's there are various you know discontinuous identities happening that they never get together, join hands, and make a self. Just like the five skandhas of form, feeling, perception, concept, consciousness. Never really join up and say me. There's always a space between them. If you see them as they are, then they're just as just self-existing. They're just, they just have their own uh, interesting thing about no separation is then we see what is the way things are really separated. The actuality of no separation, which is kind of like magic. Only without a magician. Is that funny? Why aren't you laughing? Well, you are. It's behind your mouth, behind your 
mouth covering. How many other monks in the room? There's a monk. Further questions on this would be good if you have them, and I can continue to elaborate, but it would help to go deeper into it. Yes. Stephen from uh, Canada asks, if I feel remorse, am I only trying to please a part of myself that is said to be an illusion? If you don't do anything with their remorse, you let it, you let it live. Let, let it live, and you don't reshape it. You do nothing with it, then the, the remorse is genuine. Do anything with it, and we're starting to... We, we like the remorse, but we want it our way. We want it to be... And we'll even make excuses that, well, I just need to do it the honest way. I just need to have the remorse that is totally accurate. Fishy? Yeah, fishy. My apologies to the Pisces. There was an apology. Chazan. Do we need to de-weaponize our emotions when they become aggressive or weaponized? Yeah, so when I say don't do it, thank you. So when I say don't do it, I'm saying you can't, you can't really just do it uh, as, a, as an act of doing, but I have to title it talk something. So when I say don't do it, it's like all the other donuts. You know, you have to see the way in which you do it very clearly so that you can see where that gets its particular uh, energy or its particular dynamic or something about the way it seems to arise, the triggers that are around it, the fuel lines that run in out of uh, from who knows where. You have to see that. And at, at some point, it is kind of a just not weaponizing it anymore. It's not. It's not something you're seeing happening, and you you don't don't do that. I'm not going to do that. It's not that kind of thing. Although it might initially start that way, and then through the awareness practice, you can see that that's being aggressive with your with your emotions, trying to squeeze a result out of something based on a misunderstanding of the teachings. The understanding of the t teachings. This is why it's been taught in so many, so many different ways that you're already looking at it. It's the great perfection. It's fundamentally perfect. You can, nobody can mess us up. We can destroy the world. We can blow everything up. We can have tremendous amount of uh, passion, aggression, ignorance, suffering, hell realms, unending. We can have that. that, that I'm not saying that can't happen, but fundamentally perfect. And I'm not saying those things are perfect, that someone's suffering is perfect. I'm saying the entire situation is, and if you awaken, then you actually participate in that in that profound. Uh, there's no words. There's, a, there's not a word that isn't divisive in some way. But you you actually are no longer separate from the very thing that everything is incurring in. Everything. This is all occurring in your mind, which is not your mind. It's not separate. The wisdom mind. Wisdom belongs to no one. If that's realized, then you just continue to wander around like a lost puppy. You know, baking cakes, raking yards, talking with people as if you're a human being. Remember how you felt when you were a little kid, just wondering if you were real or not? Pinch, pinch. Yeah, I guess a mirror. People are talking to me. That's proof, isn't it? That wasn't really a question. Remember when you were very young, how you had a basic kind of understanding of everything, but couldn't put anything into words? Called innocence. Is it necessary to acknowledge when we are being unpleasant or having a difficult time? Do we need to acknowledge that? To ourselves? To others? To others? You could. I, I would think, it, I think it, it's just, just flash on your intention. Your intention, everybody in this room, uh, you know, either formally or informally, has, has received, observed these precepts. I vow to be with all things. We say these 
things over and over and over again. Whether you've done this in a, some kind of formal way or informal way, we're doing it. We've all we all know that our primary reason situation for being here is to be with all things. No more warfare. It's really hard. And one of the ways that we have to go through that is look at our own personal Dharma gate, which is aggression, irritation, frustration of any kind, challenges. They shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't. I shouldn't. They just more. Should be more. I didn't even answer your question. I did. Thanks. Yes. The question has shifted a little bit. It was about apology. It, it sounds like, it almost sounds manipulative to say you should only apologize when it's helpful to somebody. But does that also mean you feel remorse or would you apologize even if you... I, I think it's so variable. I mean, you should, you should, you should, the remorse is what is the important thing. Is to actually, without them knowing it or not, to just feel, have some sense of remorse over that see that you did something, you did something and you were self-centered about it, and you operated in such a way that just got what you wanted, but you know, left them in a difficult situation. It may be, it may be good to apologize, but it also may be better to not bring it up anymore. You know, because if you're just getting it up, bringing it back up in order to, you know, because of your own situation, then maybe you should look at what's happening in your mind, which could be a little, you know, thin layer of guilt that you're trying to get rid of the guilt through apologizing. So I'm, if you'll notice, I'm not really telling you what to do other than the donut part, but that's just to get your attention because I, we have to use relative concepts so that I can introduce you to what? There isn't anything to do. Everything is done in, in, uh, in, uh, in, in mutuality which is not exactly relationship. Relationship is more like tit for tat. You know, you do this, I do this, I say this, you hear. Whereas actual mutuality is, uh, uh, what would it be? Can you think of a good example? Is it like I talk and you listen? Or is it like I listen and you hear, and I talk and you speak, and it's any? What is it when you're afraid of Buddhist xenophobia? <laughs> well, that's xenophobia. But when you're afraid of Xena, the jungle queen. <laughs> the funniest thing in the room is to look at your face. <laughs> yes. A question from my granddaughter, Shannon, in Milwaukee. you got to be kidding me. <laughs> she in there? Actually, it's from her and a friend. And she asks, uh -huh. My friend and I have a question. A rap artist mentions in a lyric... I'm grateful. I'm praying to Buddha. So my friend is curious as to if you actually pray to Buddha or if that would be considered offensive to Buddha saying that. We need your wise insight. I suppose disrespectful is the word I should have used as opposed mm -hmm. to offensive. No, it's not disrespectful. Buddhists alternately pray to Buddha, pray to everyone. So Buddha is just a... Uh, kind of an archetype or a word for the awakened one or the, the one who 2,500 years ago awoke to the nature of who he was and what the world was. And it can be summed up in two words, not separate. So if at times you're feeling uh, uh, separated, you can pray. If there are times when you feel not separated, you can pray. Not two. They're not two different things. Separation and not separation are not two different things. But thank you for the question. Yes, please pray to Buddha. Put in a good word from me. <laughs>
Uh, Sheldon from Union City has a question. He asks, is weaponizing emotions adding, like when you say, don't add? Yes, the way in which it's adding or doing something extra is to, if you have the emotion comes up and you, it's a way of getting rid of it by turning it into something else, turning it into something to hit somebody with or shoot somebody with or do the same thing to yourself. I'm terrible. I shouldn't be this way. I'm, but yes, it's, uh, it's adding, it's making up stuff. It's using your imagination, not so much in the uh, healthy creative way, but in the, you could say, uh, unhealthy creative way to make up problems and issues and uh, tell lies. So again, the most important thing about the whole, anything I'm saying here is being aware of that. And it's very difficult to be aware of what is being said here. Uh, very difficult to be aware without doing a lot of sitting meditation where you're sitting, holding still, and you're stretching that awareness, you're stretching that awareness, stretching that awareness so that you not only on the cushion, but when you get up off the cushion and you go into your, your job, your relationships, your family, your community, uh, your uh, stores, wherever you're at, parking lots, working with other people, relationships and otherwise close and far away, that you there's a lot more space around everything that happens. Every time someone says something, you'll notice that as you go on, if you sit enough, you'll be quite amazed at how many little details there are in everyone's expression, how people move their hands when they talk, how people uh, use phrase fillers, how much people rely almost with their elbow on a counter, relies on, rely on phrase fillers. Phrase fillers, by that I mean, for those who don't know what that term means, I, I think I invented it, I don't know, it doesn't matter, but it's just a, a way of using language that, that helps us artificially ignore consciousness so that we can regroup into an ego. One of them is, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Nothing wrong with that per se. You know what I'm saying? But it's it's just a way of getting together that self who does something, is something, thinks something, says something. Because to just talk without those is more difficult. I, I do them. I have several of them that I do. Anyone who listens to me knows. It's not about being about stopping that and never doing that again. It's about being aware of them. Do you know what I am saying? As they said on South Park one time. Yes. Jay's on it asked if it's appropriate to acknowledge when we're being unpleasant or irritable. How might we acknowledge that to someone else? Well, I, I think it's a, uh, it's, it, it's a, uh, um, it's situational. You're in a situation and if, if somebody's kind of picking up on that energy and they can tell you're grouchy or you're feeling bad, you could say, I mean, if they're saying, are you okay? You could just acknowledge, keep it as simple as possible and as impersonal as possible, unless the person's really pissing you off. And you may have to say, yeah, get out of my face. And of course, I'm not giving anyone permission to do that. But on the other hand, I never know when you or anyone might need to be genuine in that kind of way. That probably isn't going to last very long. You might have to actually f express that feeling. Not a, not a validation on expressing anger or killing people or any of that stuff. But it's, it's, very, it's, a very, uh, it's a very very subtle area of consciousness. And that subtle area of consciousness is what we're talking about when we say sit down and do sitting meditation is to strengthen 
the subtle perception. There's all kinds of uh, perception that uh, is, is subtle, but has such a strong um, gross uh, bias to it that we barely even know it's a, it's a thought pattern. So you might find yourself, as an example, with someone who is seeing that you're not doing too well, and you just say, I'm just having a difficult time, like we often say. And uh, a lot depends on who it is. You know, if it's your mom, or you know, that's a lot different than it's a, if it's somebody. If it's a temple resident, you should be able to be fairly direct with anyone who lives here, because they're working with their minds too. And what better person to be direct and honest and genuine with than somebody who's doing what you're doing, working on this and working on this in the same way. That's what is called a community or a sangha. More. What's the difference between acknowledging that and making an, making an excuse for it? Well, I think you've already said it. You. you probably couldn't ask that question if you didn't already see the difference between them. Isn't that true? You can kind of see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a matter of just don't add to it. Don't try to be right. Don't try to win. Don't try to be right about who you are, how you're feeling, how you should how you responded and be able to respond in a really enlightened way or something. Just be genuine. Sometimes being genuine is painful because then, then you have to actually be, you know, like being stuffed in a in a box that's smaller than you are. It's like you have to acknowledge who you are and what you are and what you're doing. Sometimes it can feel quite difficult. But nothing lasts, as uh, we talked about on the weekend, impermanence, the talk I gave on Sunday. You know, not, the most horrible situation is not lasting, and the most wonderful situation is not lasting. And also, uh, several hours of meditation is not lasting. It just goes away. <laughs> That's a meditation mudra. <laughs> you can do that if you're in strict retreat because nobody's there. As Suzuki Roshi said back in the 60s, uh, if someone is watching you, you can hide from them. But if no one is watching you, you can't hide from yourself. When will this session be over? Further questions, please. Yes. So just building on um, Junshi's question mm-hmm. about acknowledging when maybe we're grouchy or whatever we want to call it. Um, I know sometimes I get caught up in wanting not to say what's bothering me and concerned about taking care of the person who's asking the question mm-hmm. by covering up okay. what the real, what's, what's the really question? going on. So, we could all be asking this question. So... What is that desire to want to try to protect that other? Well, simply put, I think you just don't want anybody, any, someone to feel bad based on whatever is happening with you. And if you have some understanding of the whole, your whole emotional dynamic, you, you kind of realize that even though someone out there might have triggered something within you, they're not really causing it. It's your own feelings that are happening. So this is what we call, when we call responsibility, the ability to respond. You have the ability to respond to your own emotions in such a way that you realize they're your emotions. It's not about blame. Well, sometimes you say, um, I think you say, your emotions don't belong to, I to do. you. So yeah. how can you be responsible for your emotions if they don't belong to me? The responsibility is responsible, not an identity. feels like an identity. The way you know it's not it's not an identity is if you go like this, it's like smoke. You can't grasp at something that is just uh, just manifesting. It just manifests. Or, you know, it seems like 
the belief, the solidity around emotions <clears throat> kind of has two parts to it. Yeah. Uh, there's a belief in the emotion itself, and then there's a belief that there's someone having that emotion. If we see through one of those, will we see through both? I think I think if we see through, we see through them both at the same time. Is there somewhere we should look to see through that? Start by looking at that wall, six and a half hours a day, or more if you see it feels so inclined. And simply put, you've heard me say this so many times: is when you hold really, if you hold really still, you're more more able to see what's moving in the form of any kind of negativity or thought patterns. You're able to just observe them. But if you're moving at all, like I'm moving my hands, um, you know, being kind of just kind of relaxed and so on. There's less, uh, there, there's a, a lot, my way of talking about, it, I don't know what's really happening because I'm not a, don't know that much about physiology, but there's some kind of awareness that gets absorbed in the movement of the body that, that goes away from just the bare attention that we're able to have. We hold really still and just watch what's happening. If you hold really still for periods of time, you can see the way in which you add to your own confusion and your own self-deception in order to protect that self that is unreal. Ego is unreal. doesn't need to be gotten rid of. You just need to see that it's unreal. The only way you know that it is unreal is once this has been realized, then you pretty much function like you always functioned, except if you look and try to find somebody, there isn't anyone there. And if intense feelings or emotions come flooding through you, they can't find a self to lock down on to, to assist in that uh, belief in duality that there's somebody who can win, somebody who can lose, somebody who can live, somebody who can die, somebody who's sad, somebody who's happy. Question from somebody who hasn't asked a question? Cody. Cody Bowen. Can Jun Chu's question be used on anything? If you look through the self or an emotion, um, does it matter what you see to be unreal? You say, does it matter? I'm not sure, but seems like there's some further elaboration on that. But. Cody Bowen, just on, does emphasis need to be placed on specifically the self and how we protect the self, or can you see through any object and it would be the same in the end? Um, You're talking just in post-meditation, wandering around, living your life, or on the cushion? or Both, just, just looking. I think less is better. That's a little bit convoluted, so difficult to respond and actually feel like I'm covering the whole expression of the question. Can you boil it down to three-minute egg? I'm testing everyone's level of humor here by watching to see if anyone thinks I'm funny. I'm just having trouble seeing the difference between the self or any other object and okay. seeing the unreality of it. Okay, so that's the basic uh, misunderstanding about identity. It's a mistaken identity. We think there's somebody, just because there's a body here. We think there's somebody who is this body. We think there's somebody else who is the other body, or who is the wall, or who is the trees, or the birds, or the rivers, the road, or other people, our family, our pets. We, we separate that so that we can do what? So we, we can protect that, so that we can support that, feed that, or so that we can get rid of that. It's, it's just a, a, a fundamental misunderstanding based on fear, on fear of, of who we are disappearing. And who you are can't disappear because you're not, not your body.
somewhat your body, but not completely. So I would say the area where you're looking in that is bringing up that question, uh, keep looking there. There's not, there's not a really helpful answer, I don't think, in that area. At least I'm not clear enough or perceptive enough or smart enough or whatever to think of for me. So a lot. You know, further questions? Yogi What is it that keeps the parts of our ego together in such a way that it seems like one thing? That's good. Uh, passion, aggression, and ignorance. There's somebody who's passionate. So there's there's a, a form, body, a feeling. You could, it's more complicated than just this and just feeling and just uh, perception and then concept or thinking process and then consciousness of the six sense fields and their objects, sound, smell, taste, touch, and so on. But then when in that whole matrix of the six sense fields, some um, fueled by the seventh consciousness or the ego mind, uh, some kind of fear of something going wrong or not getting something or losing something or something unexpected happening, uh, that, 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 that spreads through everything. It feels like there's one person that's individual that's having that. It just feels like that because it's just, it's, it's almost the same kind of uh, part of the matrix that says if you smell a flower, uh, you're also looking at the same flower you're smelling. So, like, but in the Zen tradition, sometimes uh, some of these fancy teachers in the past would say uh, something like, uh, uh, you know, would confound that whole thing and say, you know, I eat beans and you burp. Thank you. You know what I'm saying? That I do something, but you have the result of it. It's to show that things are are separated in a way that we generally are not wanting to look at uh, the interpenetration of everything, that everything is, is completely dependently arisen, that this cannot be here without trees. This cannot be here with my, oh, my hand holding it up. My hand cannot be here without my mother and father coming together and producing a child. They cannot be here on down and down. And this cannot be here with sun, light, oxygen, without someone to carve it in this shape. And that's just, but yet we're so, as ego minds, as self-centered minds, we're we want to go in and find out what's what what works for just us. I mean, what we have a feeling and we immediately want to find one reason for it, and we will go to that and we will we will we will struggle with it. We will fight with it when actually the causes and conditions that arises, any emotion that arises in you, is coming not only from here. It's coming from probably don't even need to count dozens of lifetimes came together to form those the basis of those emotions. So your only recourse is rather than go back in and trying to necessarily go through all those past lifetimes, which is also an option that could be done also. But the most important thing you can do to work with suffering is to realize who you are. Sit down, look at this until you realize it's not separate. Then, then everyone, anytime you see someone suffering anywhere, you you resonate with it. You don't just feel what they feel. You're not separate from them. Separated, yes. Their body's there, your body's here. But the, the deep nature of consciousness is, is not separate. Or, so, it, it, praise God. Passion, aggression, and ignorance are the energy. Is that the energy that fuels the body. ego? Um, hope and fear. Again. Hope for this and fear of that. So hope is like passion and, and uh, 
fear is like aggression, or you could flip them around and say one causes them. You could just, they're very simple, basic situations. We're fearful of some things and hopeful of other things. And it's not that those are wrong. You don't have to stop doing that. If you, but if you're just aware that that's happening, then you get more and more aware of how that is kind of running you. How we, you know, we all want to be happy. Everyone wants to be happy. We want to be happy. And when we start to feel unhappy, we look for causes and conditions that causes that. And especially if we can blame something for it, then that little bit of blame takes the thought process and takes it away uh, along with the awareness. It is absorbed, so it comes away from the, the difficulty or the pain, and we start going around in circles about what caused it. Blame, chewing our cud, so to speak. We all know what this is like. When you're upset with somebody, you just sit around and think about it. Think they, they only knew. I'm never going to let them do that again. The next time they say that, I'm going to say this. How do I know about this? I just spent three quarters of a century doing it. Well, that's how I know about it. I didn't read this in a book and I say, oh, I think I'll tell them this. I don't, don't take a, uh, don't take, bring a book in necessarily, maybe once in a while do that. On the other hand, there's lots of material in books that of other people who have been through uh, difficult practices and, uh, and understood things and it's good to study those things. I like listening to this person talk. Stephen from Canada has a follow-up on uh, remorse. Yes, can you add to the shape of the remorse from your own personal conditioning without compromising the integrity of its purity? No, don't do anything with it. The only thing you can do, you should be doing from this, you give me permission to tell you, Stephen, don't do anything but look at it. And that looking at it, if you do it once, twice, three times, four times, it will always start to shift and be different. It will never look the same. The looking will be different, and what is being seen will be different. This is like, it's just like uh, thick as a New York phone book, which is probably not that thick anymore. That little, I guess. Lots of layers of that, and, and you can spend a lot of time kind of psychologizing and, and analyzing or going into that the way some, not not against uh, psychology or therapy or psychoanalysis. We should, if we can get some help from there, from some relief from what we're dealing with, we should do it. But this path is about awareness, about training the awareness so it is so strong that it begins to sink down into whatever's in front of it and see what it is fundamentally. Questions? How is confusion, uh, communication between two people confusing? What? <laughs> <laughs> How is communication between two people confusing? It's just misunderstanding, misplacing what's happening. Someone says something, we misunderstand. We think they said such and such, and they actually intended something else. Usually it's something as simple as that. And sometimes we're, no matter what the other person does, even if they're being extremely kind and sweet and everything, we feel it just triggers something that we don't even know what it is. We can have somebody, their intention can be totally kind and nice and sweet and supportive, and we just don't like it. We don't like that something about it. We don't like them. We don't like we don't like being alive. We just feel like shit. We don't like it. Can I say shit on YouTube? Yeah. There's another word I should What's the word I shouldn't say? No. Um, it's like that, though, isn't it? Look, look at back at the last... 
transaction or whatever you want to call it between you and someone else where there was some kind of difficulty, uh, you know, whether either acknowledged on both sides or maybe just maybe you're the only one that felt it. Maybe they were fine. They went on their merry way picking flowers, you know, and you just hate them. You all know what I'm talking about. You can't come in and work with your mind this much, let alone even be an adult without having some experience of having really intense antagonism towards somebody that's not hasn't even done anything. This should tell you something about the nature of mind. Yeah, it's probably spirit possession. <laughs> but we can deal with that too. <laughs> I noticed the person that has had no facial expression changed the whole time has been chasing I just, I think he's actually a carving. <laughs> you in a bad mood? You know, you better smile. <laughs> yes. Stephen has one last comment. Well, I hope so. Jeez, Stephen. He says, I guess asking you if I could add was a foolish question. Ha ha. Mm, no, that wasn't a foolish question. It's a good question. Go ahead. You can always add. When I say don't add, I'm just saying, the reason I say that is I, uh, I can't stop adding, so I don't probably don't expect you to stop adding, but I know that if you, if you look at the adding part, which you will do if you try to stop it, you, you notice that you can't. And then you find out why you can't. There isn't any one there to stop anything. If you were a solid being, you could actually uh, stop and start things based on relative truth because there would be no absolute truth. But since there is the relative truth rests on the absolute, then there's only one way, as uh, using uh, Sakyam Mipam Rinpoche's title of his book, How to Rule Your World, I would say, what would I say? I haven't even read that book. Have I read that? <laughs> the way you rule your world is not separate yourself from it. And then everything that happens is a royal command. And if you don't understand, you should ask questions. A royal command from what? Pardon me? What is, where is the royal command? It comes from itself. There isn't any other. So, but the, the expression is would be royal command, but the situation is not separate. So it's, it's called uh, the great perfection, fundamentally pure, threefold purity. No command, no commander, nothing commanded. That's royal. Sovereign. And you're all here to teach me about it. Thank you so much. At the end, I was afraid you were going to ask me what I meant. <laughs> what did you mean? We'll stand and dedicate the merit in the back of our red chant books. I'd like to remind everybody that we do have donation boxes in the hallway. Please support us financially as you can. Every little bit. And lot helps. May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize.